Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What is going on? This is Dan Garcia from the All Angels Podcast and Halo Haven. Um, Johnny, it's just me today, no Johnny. But this is going to be a real quick, at least my part, it's going to be a really quick um, part of this podcast. It's kind of our bonus podcast. Um, if you guys have been listening throughout the year, you know we have been fortunate enough, uh, Johnny and myself, to interview a lot of great players and great people around the Angels organization. Um, so now that the season's over, um, we had our... Uh, recap last week we wanted to put a bonus one out of some of those interviews that were really good that we really enjoyed um, doing and we hope that you enjoyed listening to um, but we wanted to put them on one single podcast so if you haven't listened to them and maybe you want to listen to them again boom they're right here um, i'm also going to put down if you haven't noticed in the summary um, jot down the times where they started so um, if you already listened to it and you want to kind of skip forward, it'll show you where to fast forward and where um, the next one picks up. So, again, this is just a kind of a bonus uh, podcast of the interviews we've done um, throughout the year, um, the ones that we enjoy. So you're going to listen from, you know, Gooby, Trent Rush, um, Joe Adele's, and who's going to be in this podcast. So, um, plus a couple others. So we hope you enjoy it. And, again, um, if you have any questions, comments, or anything, allangelspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you follow us at uh, Halo underscore Haven on Instagram and on Twitter to listen to when we are going to do our next podcast during the off season because now we are going once a month. But again, um, thanks again for all the fans that have started listening to us this year and even more so for the people that started um, last season when we kind of started doing this more regularly halfway through the season. But um, this podcast is just a great way to have interviews and and um, you know and if you haven't heard them, we hope you enjoy them. If you have, you know, take a time out and. Uh, Enjoy him again. Thank you. Now joining us on the All Angels Podcast is a man you might not know by his name, but you definitely recognize the work he does, not only on the baseball field, but across sports, and that's Todd Radom. Thanks, Todd, for joining us today. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Uh, one of the first things I uh, wanted to talk to you about was, you know, obviously this being an Angel podcast. Last year on uh, ESPN's uh, Baseball Tonight podcast, you ranked the number 16th logo the Angels logo from, I believe, the, the Big A from the 1980s. Can you tell us a little more about that logo and why it's so special? Yeah, I mean, that was a really interesting exercise because uh, the mandate in that case uh, was not necessarily to cover every one of the 30 teams, but to really highlight, uh, you know, by any objective measure, the best logos. And I tried to get, you know, I tried to not get into the weeds too, too much. But the original Angels uppercase A logo with the halo up on top, the thinner version that dated back to the Nolan Ryan years, really just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of simplicity, looked great on a uniform, it was contemporary, uh, yet it, it was 
included in some traditional uh, design elements. And, uh, you know, it's good to be associated with, with greatness. Those Angels teams got close. They never quite got over the hump, thinking specifically of 1979, Don Baylor and all that stuff. But uh, it was a good-looking cap, and it, it translated into a really cool logo. And looking up, you know, information about you on your website, ToddRadium.com, I, I noticed that you designed – uh, the logo of the 2002 Angels, and for any Angel fan, uh, that's a very important year for uh, Angel fans and just <laughs> Angels in general. Um, what went into that logo change, and what you know, uh, what were some of the ideas going around when you, when they decided to change the logo? Well, it's funny you say 2002 because I always refer to that particular project, and I say sometimes, you know, uh, there are times in life that it's better to be lucky than good. And uh, the lucky part, of course, came with the Angels appearing in and winning in their first and only World Series to date that year. Um, so I think the logo, if you'll pardon the pun, gets a little bit of a halo effect uh, <laughs> because of that very special World Series. Um, well, I, I think, you know, it's a long time ago, and this is one of these identities that really has... Uh, some don't stand the test of time. Some you really can't imagine hanging around for as long as that has. But uh, I think, you know, the, the, the basics were a desire to get back to basics, away from the very involved, very uh, multicolored look, the periwinkle look yes. that uh, <laughs> the Disney angels were associated with in the 90s, the Mo Vaughn years, et cetera, et cetera. You know that. And uh, to kind of, kind of think backwards a little bit and uh, tap into the DNA of the franchise. And, uh, you know... Looking at the, the big A in the parking lot just made so much sense. Um, I recall uh, the conversation being had that red was apparently Gene Autry's favorite color, so it's a little bit of a, an homage to the, uh, the OG Gene Autry from <laughs> the expansion 1961. And, uh, you know, a, a more of a traditional look, um, which was really, you know, if you think about the look of baseball in 2000, and uh, what we were kind of getting away from, we were kind of getting back to basics. We had this very involved period of design across all of sports, and uh, this kind of devolved the thing a little bit. And lastly, um, you know, you've got the Dodgers some miles uh, northward. They are, of course, blue. You think about rivalries and the tribal associations that fans have with their colors. So uh, if the Dodgers are blue and red was out there for the taking and Gene Autry loved it and Boom. red was associated with the franchise, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes perfect, perfect, perfect sense. When you see a team, you know, whether it's that Angels team or any team you've helped in years past, when you see a team win a, a championship of some sort and you see them wear the jersey that you helped design and you know, you know, from now on, when anyone looks up that team, whether it's in 20 years, they'll see something you designed. Does that give you some kind of pride? Uh, when you see something like that? Absolutely. I mean, I am a history guy. I always have been. And I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, I was in Cooperstown doing a book signing uh, in the middle of August. And, you know, I've been up there a billion times. It never gets old. And to walk into that plaque, plaque gallery and see Vladimir Guerrero with the, uh, the current A logo yeah. on his cap, you know, kind of like, I mean, that's a pretty special thing. And beyond that, to just go around the museum and see pieces of uh, pieces of design that I've been responsible for over the last quarter century, 
it's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, it does not get old, and you can't necessarily create things with with uh, that kind of um, you know dynamic in mind. But uh, it's certainly a, a very rewarding, nice thing to see. Yeah, speaking of your book, uh, Winning Ugly, it's now available to buy um, on your website, ToddRaid.com, but I'm sure you probably get it where, wherever books are sold. But um, what goes into a book like that when you're, when you're focusing on, on uniforms and, and, and logos and everything? What, what's the mindset um, when you uh, uh, attempt a book like that? Well, you know, listen, uh, we, are, we are fans and we are very, um, how can I put it, we, we have opinions about our uniforms. <laughs> yes. Good, bad, or ugly. Yes. And, uh, again, there's inevitable comparison uh, between the Angels and the National League Dodgers. And, you know, I've often said I close my eyes and I think of a baseball uniform, and the Dodgers uniform comes to mind. It's a thing of beauty. Um, so that's easy to say. You know what's really difficult? You know what, what sparks conversation? Ugly baseball uniforms. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was asked by the I was asked by the New York Times to write an editorial piece about the charms of ugly baseball uniforms. This was in April 2017. Um, that's the genesis of the book Winning Ugly. So in the book, I give kind of a very uh, low level description, in respect of uh, the look of the baseball uniform, the origins of the. You know, of the uniform from the uh, Cincinnati Red Stockings in the years immediately following the Civil War. It's a long time ago, right? Yeah, that's, that's some history. <laughs> and how, how uniforms evolve. And then I get into the, I, I dive into the, the flaming dumpster fire in certain <laughs> cases. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it was so much fun to write, to do research for, and to uh, really look at the, the visuals and think about it with a, with a fresh viewpoint. When when you say you know ugly uniforms or logos, you know I I think and you touched on it a little bit. I think one of the more polarizing logos in Angels history is that periwinkle you talked about uh, a little while ago. Um, you know, can you tell us what went into that change? What were they thinking? Because it's it when you look at the Angels um, logos, like as the history goes, like everything kind of seems you know you have the you have the C A, you have the A, you have you know the L A when they first originally started. And then you have this big periwinkle with these big wings and these colors. And what you know? Do you know what went into that change? Well, I mean, I think if you look at it in a broader context, there's really nothing specific to speak to about that, uh, other than to point out the fact that the Blue Jays abandoned their traditional visual roots. Uh, you know, sometime after that, and what happened is, uh, you know, not too long ago kind of went back to what they used to look like. Uh, this has happened with a lot of teams. Look at the Houston Astros, right? Yeah. Um, a visual outlier from 2000 to just about you know 2012, let's say, when they were brick and black, back to the navy blue and orange, back to basics. Teams sometimes lose their identity, and I think in the case of the Angels, they lost their identity for several years, whatever, whatever you want to say, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever you know, following trends, the complexity of what that uniform is all about. And I'll also say that um, there are times, uh, I, I think that, that teams make changes for one of two reasons. Number one, you've got a new owner coming in, and that new person who is usually a billionaire or a company wants to put their stink on their, their nice new toy. Yeah. <laughs> or number two, a franchise wants to break an era of losing. And uh, it sends a very strong message to the fan base to redesign things. 
in the case of the Angels, you know, they were going through, uh, I think, a, a flat period, it's fair to say, at that time. Um, this is a team that, of course, as we said off the top, had never won a World Series, never been in a World Series. I think it's easier to make, make a break like that. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays in 2007, going into 2008, go to a World Series. But it's easier to do that than uh, to be a team like the Red Sox or the Cardinals and really just rip the Band-Aid off and do something completely different. Yeah, it, it's definitely, me personally, I don't mind it. It's a nice little change, kind of like you said, it's part of history. My, my co-host, on the other hand, he hates it. He, he can't stand it when someone wearing a hat or a uniform with a periwinkle on it. But that's always kind of a, a, a topic that we always uh, bring up when we start talking uniforms or, or, or jerseys or logos in, in Angels Pass. But um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was the WBC, another great you know baseball um, exhibition, if you will, um, happens you know every so often. Um, now, I saw that, too, that you helped create the, the logo for WBC. Am I correct? That is true, and, uh, you know, it's a great event for baseball fans, and clearly you are and I am. Um, you know, the, the world is a big place, and we've seen international talent come into the game, including in Anaheim this season, yep. both pitching and, uh, and hitting, right? Yeah. And that's actually a great example of what the WBC uh, is all about at its very best. It's only every four years, so it's sort of like the Olympics. It's an international event, and it was a really interesting project to be involved with because, um, you know, you're appealing to fans in markets that, that uh, are not Cincinnati, Kansas City, L.A., or New York. Um, you have to get into the mindset of what makes what, – what are Dutch fans? <laughs> or fans in Mexico? And what does the sporting landscape look like in a place like South Africa, for instance? Or – I mean, you know, go down the line. So it, I, I do love the event. I think there's raw energy there. Uh, it's still young, and, of course, it took a little while, but the U.S. won it, and see what happens when the next one rolls along. But I think there's great momentum. Yeah, I, I love the energy it brings. It just seems something different than your normal everyday game that, you know, the teams play every day. It's something that doesn't happen, like you said, every four years. So it seems like there's a little more energy in those uh, stadiums when the games are going on. Um, Another thing, yeah. you know, we, we like to talk to people we interview and kind of get to know them a little bit better. So, you know, how did you get into this? What what was your mindset when you said, you know what, I want to design um, sports logos or jerseys? Or did it start off as something and then it, it kind of evolved into what it is now? You mean when I was eight years old? Is that what you mean? <laughs> that goes way back then. That's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, I really was bored to do this. So, uh come from a, a, a family of artists. I'm a fourth-generation working oh, artist. Wow. In short, I, my dad was sort of a, a creative jack-of-all-trades, a designer, a photographer. He wrote a little bit. His father was an illustrator and a painter. His father before him was a painter. I didn't know him. Passed before I was long before I was born. I have a brother who's a photographer and a retoucher. I have a niece who's a graphic designer. Wow, so yeah. Who's a jazz <laughs> so... You know, we start with that, and I'll say that um, creativity was uh, never, you know, it was always encouraged, and a career in the arts was certainly never discouraged. Combine that with the fact that I've been a, uh, a sports fan, particularly a baseball fan, you know, since I was a kid. And I've looked at the uh, at what, what players are wearing since I was really little. And you combine that with the fact that I'm a child of the 70s, and of course in the 70s across all sports, we had this just you know, intense blast of design yep. and color 
which is really memorable. So you kind of like stir that up into a big pot, and you get where I'm coming from. Yeah, I've yeah. been interested in this stuff from, yeah, from an early age. So uh, we fast forward through it. I went to college in New York City at the School of Visual Arts. Um, you know, I, I, as a graphic design student, some of the projects I, I dealt with were centered around baseball. So even then, I'm thinking about it. Um, I graduated college. I went into uh, book publishing, um, designed covers, thousand, probably a thousand book covers in my life for many authors you've heard of, and probably a lot of baseball books, if you're into baseball books, that you might have in your library. And um, so I, I really built up a portfolio that was centered around graphic design and baseball. At one point, I built up enough of a portfolio that I took it over to Major League Baseball. This sounds really simple, but <laughs> hear me out. Yeah. <laughs> this is a world without an internet. Oh, yeah, that's the hard part, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you extract, you know, like I said, just think about that. Back in those days, you'd shop your work around as a designer or somebody who was interested in advertising or illustration, and you literally had a portfolio, which which was a box with stuff in it, right? Yeah. And you drop the thing off, and, you know. You <laughs> mean there's no emails or nothing like that? <laughs> no emails. What are you kidding me? No. No such thing. No, not even fax machines. Maybe fax machines. But anyway. But anyway, I dropped my work off with Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, generally in a case like that, you're going to get one of two notes. Most of the time, you're going to get a note which is says, thank you for dropping off your work. We'll keep you in mind. Well, I got a note that said, you have very interesting work. Come back and talk to us. And that was back in 1991, so it's a long time ago, and that's how it all started. Do you remember the feeling you had when you you know, were able, hey, we want you to work on this, and then you turn around and work on it, and then boom, you see it on the actual field? Do you remember that, that first time you saw it and, and your thoughts and oh, everything behind that? Absolutely. So the first a couple of smaller jobs, but the first team identity I ever did was a minor league baseball team, the Knoxville Smokies. Now they're the Tennessee Smokies. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was just what an amazing thing to project the work that I was doing uh, onto, you know, thinking about the cap of a professional baseball player, regardless of the level, to think about the uniform and how it would fit on there. And then when it finally happened, you know, I was I was just maniacal in ordering <laughs> the cap and the souvenirs and all that stuff, and I still have all that stuff. That's awesome. You know, from the Knoxville Smokies from all those years ago. Yeah. So the same. You know, I'll I'll, I'll uh, track back to our discussion at, at the top about you know seeing my work in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. Well, that kind of energy and that excitement, you know, you you can imagine it. It's it was it was there then. It's still there now. Yeah, I mean, I see the stuff you put out, and it's awesome. And like you said, you had a signing at the Hall of Fame. You know, us being kind of based on the West Coast, kind of hard for us to get out um, to New York and see it. So, um, you know, have you ever um, been around, you know, whether it's athletes, whether it's, you know, um, any kind of uh, celebrity where you're thinking, because of my job, I'm willing to do this, and this is pretty cool? Oh, I don't know. Give me an example. Like, I don't know, maybe you are at the Hall of Fame and then you happen to see a Hall of Famer walk by and he says hi or, you know, or someone recognizes you because of um, the stuff you've done that you, wow, he knows what I've done and you just kind of like, that's, oh, that's yeah, pretty crazy. yeah, yeah, No, okay, I got it, I got it. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
ball players either don't care about this stuff or they really love their graphics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's one way or the other. There's no, yeah, there's no in between on that, and uh, you might have to explain it a little bit. And uh, there have been instances where I have uh, met Hall of Famers, and I've said, you know, I did the uniform that you wore for X team, or I designed the sleeve patch that you wore with this team in this particular year. And they're kind of like, that's a pretty cool thing. And they might not know who I am, but uh, they certainly, you know, know what the work is. And, uh, and that's always really neat. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's something that would be super cool to be like, yeah, that's me on there. I designed it and, and you know, ex-big leaguers wearing it, you know, in the Hall of Fame, like you said, with the Vladimir Guerrero and, and him being the first angel in the Hall of Fame wearing that A is, is awesome. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I don't want to take any more of your time because you've been very generous so far, but um, definitely check out his book, Winning Ugly, ToddRadium.com, anywhere you can find books. Um, Do you want to put your Twitter or anything else out there for the people to check out? Yeah, absolutely. I'm at ToddRadium on Twitter, T-O-D-D-R-A-D-O-M. So go take a look there. It's always a fun conversation, and uh, I love uh, throwing visual fun mots out there for fans of every team, including the Angels. Yes, definitely. All right. Thank you very much. So today's guest on the All Angels podcast, we have the honor of having Mark Gubizov, former Halo and Angels uh, TV announcer. Gooby, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. What's going on? So one of the first questions we wanted to ask, you know, now that the All-Star break is over and now maybe the next big thing in the baseball season is the trade deadline, with the Angels being where they are in the, in the record, uh, do you believe they'll be uh, buyers or sellers when it comes down to the trade deadline? Yeah, you know what, that, that's a great question. And, you know, it is, uh, obviously as a fan of the Angels and working and doing the TV stuff, you would like to think in terms of adding players, you know, to make a push for the, for the postseason. You know, Seattle and Oakland, you know, who they're battling for that second wild card spot. And, you know, they've, Oakland's been playing great. Seattle's kind of taken a step back here and there. So you always feel, you know, you have a chance. You're, you're looking forward to a winning streak, you know, 13-3 and three to start the season. Are they still capable of doing that? And in my opinion, there is that strong possibility that could happen. So I, I still think that Billy Upler is going to move towards adding players rather than subtracting some of the players from the Major League roster now. You know, we t- we talked to to Trent Rush uh, earlier in the week, and he, we talked a little bit about this. You know, the whole trade deadline and all that good stuff. Uh, Trent seems to believe, and, and as Daniel and I have been talking on the show, this pitching staff, with all the injuries, has kind of overachieved in a way, right? Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I mean, it, same thing last year when you think about all the injuries to the pitching staff last season, and the same thing where you know I, I think when you look at the, you know, some of the things that were surprising would have been the offense last year, and I think it's the same thing this year. I think the pitching staff overall, considering how many guys have missed significant time, that I, I think it's really been a pretty positive thing as far as the pitching staff. Now, that being said, I still think there's a lot of issues that have to be addressed as far as the pitching staff. If you want to be a competitive club and, and stay on course with the Houston Astros, the world, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Cleveland, and if you get to the World Series, the other clubs in the National League that are strong on the pitching staff, I think that has to be addressed. There's, as well as it is done, as you know, we mentioned potentially overachieving as far as the pitching staff. I think you have to think in terms of how do you get a staff that continues to 
you know, get better and stay healthy, and that's the most important thing. We haven't seen a lot of health as far as the rotation for a number of seasons, even though there was a lot of depth coming into the camp. You know, in, in, in Tempe, and, and, that, and certainly that depth has been really tested this year with all the guys going in for surgery. So I guess one of the positive things pitching staff-wise is development of all, um, Tyler Skaggs and uh, Andrew Haney. You being, you know, being able to watch them day in and day out, what do you think is the biggest difference from this year to maybe years past? Well, you know, we'll start with Tyler Skaggs. I think even you know, watching his game yesterday, uh, didn't have his best stuff, even talked to him after the game, and didn't have his best stuff. And the first thing I said to him was, that's the sign of a guy that's developing into an ace. When you don't have your best stuff, you find a way to make a pitch here and there to limit the damage. Yes, he gave up three runs, but but he managed to get into the sixth inning through what he started with, you know, when he gave up a run in the first three innings. You know, Tyler, in the past, when something like that would happen, you know, you try to overthrow, you try to make a perfect pitch instead of just still staying within your game plan. You know, those big innings would blow up against him, and you're not seeing it anymore. He's been as consistent as anybody, really, in the game over the last seven starts, and really since June for Tyler. Now, Andrew Heaney, I think more of a, it's a situation where he's healthy, he feels comfortable attacking hitters. His slider's been great. His changeup has really developed into a very solid secondary pitch for him. Fastball command's been very good. You know, I've always loved his competitive nature. He's one of those guys where you know – he doesn't want to give up a hit during the course of a game. And he's going to compete as well as anybody. And now all of a sudden he's healthy and he's got a good feel for all his pitches going right now. So those two, in my opinion right now, even though we've heard a lot as far as, you know, say the Yankees or other clubs interested in them, I, I don't see Billy up there moving either one of them because they're finally getting to that next level where, you know, when you pencil them in in your scorebook, that you feel you have a great opportunity to win that night. Yeah, that's that's one that's one of the things that you know I had mentioned in our interview with Trent Rush as well about how Heaney and um, Skaggs are guys that you kind of have to hold on to. You touched on the Angels maybe having to have to improve, maybe picking up another starter along the way, but that's something that they're going to have to do in the offseason, right? I mean, who's available now that they can kind of go out there and grab before the trade deadline? Yeah, you know, when you look at the names that are, you know, you keep hearing Degrom for the for the Mets, maybe Syndergaard for the Mets. There really isn't a ton of available pitchers because everyone, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone feels that they're a starter away. You know, the Yankees are going to be huge players in this because, you know, you have Severino, who's an incredible, you know, ace of your staff, but you have CC Sabathia, who's a warrior in your number two spot as far as potential in, in your rotation in the postseason. If, you know, obviously, if they get there and get beyond the, you know, that wild card game, if that's where they're at, that, you know, there's going to be every club there is right now. Every club that feels they have a chance to win is going to be in that conversation for a starting pitcher. And to get that pitcher, are you willing to trade one of your prospects? Finally, when you look at the Angels organization in the minor leagues, you have some legit potential stars. And we haven't seen that in a long, long time. And seeing those guys in spring training and, and watch them develop as this, you know, their season, the minor league season progresses, you feel really good about the fact that these guys are going to be stars. And you want them to wear, you know, an angel uniform. So at this point, do you are you willing to trade one of those guys away for a pitcher now, or do you wait for the off season where free agent the free agent market develops? And I, I think that's the route they're going to go at this moment. I think if there's any moves made, I think they're going to add depth to the bullpen as far as arms at this point. Like you said, with the minor league uh, arms that the Angels have, we were lucky enough to get an interview with Griffin Canning while he was at uh, Inland Empire at the very beginning of the year. Are you able to watch? 
someone like that develop in the minor leagues, or do you keep track of someone like that? And if so, what do you think of his development so far? Oh, yeah, I think what he's what we're seeing from him is you know when he was drafted out of UCLA, and I've you know I knew Coach Savage for a long period of time at UCLA, and all the people there, you know, through you know through the years watching him compete, they they love his makeup, they love his stuff. Now, where he's going already is pretty amazing because this is his first full season in professional baseball. And really, when you think about it, you know, they're really being cautious with him, building up the arm strength, not really ex- exceeding pitch counts or even innings with him at this moment. So he's he's progressing perfectly. And this fastball, you know, we're talking mid-upper 90s on a consistent basis. But the thing I like about him is he, he has had a pitch already. And I think a lot of that goes to Coach Savage there with UCLA when they, when he brings pitchers in there. And they, and they develop a lot of really good pitchers. And we see that at the major league level from Trevor Bauer to Garrett Cole on fourth. Those guys know how to pitch. They know how to use their changeup. They know how to use their secondary pitches to go along with their very good fastballs and throw strikes. And that's always something he always preached, is throwing strikes and getting ahead 0-1. And that's what he's been able to do. And, you know, it's funny, just a random story. I was down at Dana Point down there at the beach the other day, and the lifeguard was good friends of, you know, Griffin, and they always are in conversation. He, and he's just having a, you know, a big conversation recently. He goes, Boy, does he feel comfortable and confident that he's going to be wearing that Angel uniform in the very near future. And, and that's what you want, where you don't have a pitcher or a position player that feels overwhelmed that, you know, that they're not going to be able to compete at the major league level. Well, he already has that confidence he's going to do that. So I, I have no question in my mind that he is going to be very good and very competitive and very successful at the major league level. Whether that's next season, whether he gets a call up September, that remains to be seen. Pitching out of the bullpen, which is always a good thing, I think, is getting a chance to, you know, get your feet wet coming out of the bullpen, and it's getting a feel for what it takes to face major league hitters. And and, and it's really when you think about it, it's not all that different than the, in the minor leagues. But you're overwhelmed as a youngster. You think it's so hard. If you hit your spots, make your pitches, get ahead of the count, you're going to get anybody out. Yeah, um, you know, to stay on the pitching staff side of things, you know. Uh, a guy like Griffin Canning, you know, he we probably won't see him this year, probably maybe next year towards the end of the season, but how surprising has Jaime Berea been to you this season? Love him. You know, the first time I saw him, even in spring training, and even the first day walking around by the dugout at, at, at the Big A, you just knew he had it in him. Even though he was a 21-year-old at that point, that he had a lot of confidence in himself, that he competes well. Certain guys look like they're, they have that look on their face like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. I don't know if I'm good enough to be here. He walked around as if he knew he was good enough to be here. His talent was there. And, and the way he you know, has the ability to throw his changeup. And I remember one point during the season where he threw back-to-back-to-back changeups. For a 21-year-old to be able to do that, it's pretty amazing. His slider's been very good. Now, he's not going to wow you with overwhelming velocity on his fastball, but, it, but he commands the strike zone very well. And I think it kind of got away from him a little bit where he started not trusting his fastball. But I, I, I don't see that as an issue at all down the road. But I'm really happy where, where, where I see from him. I, like I, I was in love with him in spring training the way he threw and competed. And I really feel that same way right now, that he's got an incredibly bright future. Yeah, that's great to see some kind of the young talent get worked through the system and then eventually get brought up with the Angels organization and really contribute uh, as the season progresses. So we're going to take a little bit of a, a right turn a little bit, but when we interview guys or you know whether it's players or like like Trent Rush like my partner said before we like to kind of get to know the person that we're also interviewing so 
one of the questions I wanted to ask is, while you were playing, or maybe not even while you were playing, maybe this, this happened after you were playing, but when did you really start thinking about getting into the broadcasting, um, you know, broadcasting uh, profession? You know, it, it really is a crazy story how this even developed into this where I'm at right now, which, you know, I feel pretty blessed to be what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I used to mess around, obviously, as a starting pitcher. You got those four days in between starts and always mess around and, and pretending I'm, you know, Harry Callis, because growing up in Philly, I was a big Harry Callis fan playing stickball at a schoolyard. It was like 17 of us every day playing stickball during the summer, even in the spring, and then we, you know, we're pretending we're announcing games. So that that's the one thing I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool to do, but as, you know, you, you know, I was fortunate enough to play as long as I did in the major league level. And, you know, I retired. I said, okay, let me, i got to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I started coaching high school baseball here in the San Fernando Valley at Chaminade High School. And, and lo and behold, I get a, a random call from Fox to audition for this baseball show called Baseball Today. It's kind of a takeoff of Baseball Tonight from ESPN. And I went in and did an audition, which I never had any experience whatsoever. Did it. And, you know, they said, hey, we'll call you later. I'm like, okay, the old call you later thing. And, and lo and behold, a few hours later, they called me and said, "Hey, could you be here tomorrow morning?" I'm like, "Really?" I thought it was a, I thought it was a choke, actually. So here I am, I'm getting my first experience on live TV, doing stuff on on a, on a daily four different time zones, five days a week, with really little to no experience. And I did start at my own radio show, you know, over at, at six ninety five seventy at that point called uh, you know it was basically a baseball show for on the weekend, and I, I learned a lot. I learned how to cut tapes and interview people so i think my big, biggest thing to I, I tell everybody certainly on the on the radio side allows you a little more flexibility to to really hone your craft and, and learn a lot and really do more things that you thought you were capable of doing and that being you know setting up interviews and, and cutting tapes and doing all these things you know tv side you have somebody telling you you know the rapid do all these things but you get to expand a little bit more on the radio side so doing both of those things really allow me to do what i'm doing right now now, here's a follow-up question. Is that tape still out, and can we get a hold of that, that audition tape? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's out there, but it was pretty funny. One of the first things I ever did in that job, I, I did this thing where I was at the Orange County uh, Convention Center where I was pretending I'm looking for a Troy Gloss, or no, I'm looking for my, I should say, my rookie card. Wow. And so many people at that point were asking me, are you Troy Gloss? I was like, no, 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 no. He's about 12, 13 years younger than I am, but I'm walking around, I'm interviewing people and they're like hey you know this guy named mark goop is on they're like who the heck is that i'm like yeah i don't know this guy either but i'm looking for his rookie card so it kind of had a lot of fun doing that so i think that tapes out there somewhere but uh, i'm hoping it's it hit it in some vault but uh you know you live and you learn you know, obviously you know i work with some great people over there at, at fox sports where you know they really you know i had it in me to go in there and listen to both positive and negative criticism and that, that's the only way you learn. I was always a guy that would ask a lot of questions. I did that when I was a player, and I certainly still do it to this day as far as the broadcasting side. Awesome. So you obviously a member of the Kansas City Royals, 1985 World Series champions, uh, teammates with a lot of great players. Who was your favorite teammate to play with or even just kind of, you know, shoot the bull with? Yeah, you know, that, that's, you know, that's one of those questions. I was just asked that recently. It's, when I was back in Kansas City during one of their pregame shows, and, you know, the, the obvious easiest one, Brett Saberg and I, we were roommates, and, you know, I came up to the big leagues. You know, Jeff Montgomery, who was a closer for us, we became incredibly good friends. Uh, you know, Bo Jackson, I, I had such a great relationship with, but, you know, 
I, I think for a guy that I learned so much from and, and being around and actually took me in to his place his first couple of years, in my first couple of years in big leagues was George Brett. I was his roommate and then he found us a place for Sabre Reagan and I to, to live in Kansas City my first year. Then second year, Sabre Reagan, when I was already married that winter and then it was just myself, he brought me back in and helped me find another place. So I think I learned how to play the game. I learned how to have a passion for the game, really watching him on a daily basis, George, the way he played. I mean, he was as tough as nails, but yet he was great with the media, which I think I learned so much from because good and bad, you were ready just to have a conversation because that's their job. They're asking, why'd you make it out or why'd you make a bad pitch? You know, you're, if you stand there and be honest with them, every, you, you've developed some really good relationships with members of the media, and I think that's what's helped me transition into the, the job I'm in right now. So today, as we talk, it's Saturday the 21st, and the Angels game is being televised on the Big Fox, Net, Big Fox Network, and they've had games previously you know, on ESPN and also on FS1 to where you guys aren't calling the game. So when you aren't calling the game, do you still watch? Do you kind of get away from it because those days off are kind of far and few between? Or how do you, how do you deal with your off day now that you're a broadcaster? Yeah, you know, I love to say I'm the, I'm the world's most interesting guy. I'm, I'm, I'm going water skiing or something like that on these off days, but I still... It's it's in my blood, you know, and I I enjoy so much what I'm doing that I'm I'm watching the game as much as I could possibly watch it, you know, whether it's on Fox or ESPN or FS1, I I, I generally don't miss anything. If I have to run an errand, I got my phone to be able to check and see how the game is going. I mean, I have so many good friends, so many good relationships I have with the guys on this team that I'm, I'm always in contact with, you know, to see how they're doing. That way I'm prepared for tomorrow's game. Because if I, you know, while doing the game tomorrow, if I haven't seen anything, I'm, I'm relying on someone else's, you know, writing down or, or telling me what the game was about. I'd rather be able to see it with my own eyes. So I, I always watch games. Even the All-Star game, I, I managed to watch. I didn't have the sound of it. I was in a couple restaurants down there in Laguna Beach, but uh, I still managed to watch the game. And, I, and that way I have a pretty good idea what's going on. Okay, so... Right here at Halo Haven, we're kind of like a loose bunch. We like to ask kind of random questions. Any all our interview or interviewers or interviewees, I'm sorry, we've we've asked these kind of like ends, you know, this or that type of questions. And as we're recording this interview with you, uh, Gooby, we are wearing our Mark Gubazel rally mullets. Just so you're aware, <laughs> um, that's fantastic. By the way, so uh, tacos or pizza? Pizza. I am a, an absolute pizza fanatic. I can have pizza every day. I literally can, with with a completely honest answer there. I can have pizza every day. Although I love tacos, but pizza is my all-time favorite. Is there a certain pizza place that you like, or just pizza in general? Uh, pizza in general, but uh, there's a place back in Philly called Alex's. But even when I'm in, you know, obviously, raised pizza while I'm in New York, I love thin crust. I'm not a big, huge, uh, you know, thick crust pizza like you see in Chicago, although I will eat it. I'm a I'm a thin crust guy. Okay, so uh, Netflix or do you game at all? Like a game? Uh, I I don't game at all, but Netflix I do. I love Stranger Things. So okay, any any other any other series besides Stranger Things that you've kind of binge watched? Yeah, you, know, you know what? I'm trying to get there. My son's wearing me out on that. He says, "Dad, you gotta get you know, you gotta get hip right now," and I'm I'm trying that stuff. So you know, I I, I got it all set up, but. You know, I'm getting there to that point. But like I said, during the season, it's really hard for me to do anything but watch baseball games because I watch all other games too, so I have an idea what those other players are doing. So this off season, I'm going to be really going hard as far as binge-watching on Netflix. 
Okay, so we interviewed Nick Tropiano about a week back when he was doing his rehab starts, and he said the one, the best player on the team golf-wise was Mike Trout. Now I'm asking you, do you know who the best golf player is in the media side of the Angels? Oh, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You know, I know Victor likes to play a little bit. He's a pretty good golfer himself. Uh, Ken French a little bit. Patrick O'Neill could play a little bit. You know, Mark Langston's good, but his knees are not quite as, as good as they used to be. So, but I would have to go if, if we had to uh, have a go out for a round. And I haven't played as much as I used to. I used to play all right. Now my game is really tired, as a matter of fact. But I used to be able to drive the ball pretty far. Now, if I find my ball off the tee box, I'm I'm extremely happy. But I would probably go with Victor. Probably I would probably win that. You know, uh, Daniel here is a is a semi avid golfer. I'm haven't golfed in a while. Um, any tips for me? You know what? It, the big thing is, as as all of us hackers out on the golf course, we love it to have you know swing, and, and we and we look up as soon as we see the make contact with the club head on the on the golf ball. Keep your head down for a while. That's the oh. biggest thing. And and you know what? Have fun because if you get too serious, you know because it's not moving the golf ball. It's like not like any other sport where you have to move and you're. The, your eyes got to be focused on the moving target. Golf ball is right there. Just make sure you keep your eye on the golf ball and have fun. Because you know what? You're going to be in the rough. You're going to be in, in, the, in the water. You're going to be in the sand. Just make sure you have a good foot wedge, too. Well, you know, the, the last – some waiters. The last time I actually was playing, you know, I lost a few clubs out there on, on the greens because I got mad and just chucked them and just left them there. But uh, right now my approach is probably just hit the ball hard or or is that a good approach or – I mean, <laughs> that's like it. that's like watching major league to swing hard in case you hit it. Yeah, you know what? That's that's what I feel in golf too. Just you know, I figure if if my club head speed is pretty good, that's all that matters. Go to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, my club head speed is one of the best there is. They'll say, well, why can't you ever find your ball after you make contact? I said, well, it doesn't matter as long as I swing as hard as I can. I'll be all right. But, you know, like I said, golf is so much fun. Make sure you play with the right group. That is the key because you have a bunch of guys that are really, like, totally intense. You want to enjoy yourself. Just have a good time with the guys you're out there with or girls, whatever it's going to be, and just have a blast. Because, you know what, Get any day out on the golf course, in my opinion, is still one of the best days ever because just the tranquility up, uh, in the, on the greens or, in my case, trying to find my golf ball underneath a tree or something. <laughs> It's still the best. All right. Thank you, Mark, for uh, taking some time out with us. Uh, like you said, you're a very busy man, but that, for you to actually take a time out and do an interview with us, uh, we really, really appreciate it. We love the work you do. We try to watch every game we can, and every once in a while we try to get together and watch a game. But uh, just want to thank you very much for taking time out uh, and talking with us. Absolutely. Guys, I really appreciate You guys do a great job. I'll tell you what, uh, I check out you guys quite a bit myself. This, you know what? I, I love the passion for Halo fans, and, and you know uh, we have so many great players. I just want to keep this team healthy one year and to see how good this team can put it together. So I really thought this was the case this year coming into camp, out of camp. Still plenty of time. Just one w real quick nugget. When we won the World Series in Kansas City in, in 85, we were seven games back after the All-Star break. We opened up a f with a five-game set because we had a couple of rainouts in New York. We lost all five. And we won the World Series, so that'll give you hope that there's still a chance. Awesome. Now, before we let you go, we want to get you on our rally bus. I don't know if you've seen our rally bus on our uh, social media sites, on Twitter, or on Instagram, but if we take our rally bus out there, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to get you on there. How, how does that sound? Yeah, you know what? I'll go on that for sure. 
Awesome. Well, we love you, Gooby. We appreciate everything. Thank you very much. You got it, guys. Have a good one. Hey, what's going on? This is Johnny Maggs from the All Angels Podcast, and we're here with the Angels' top prospect, Joe Adele. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be on. Cool, man. So quickly, I'll ask you a few questions here. The draft, man, how did it feel to be drafted? And what was the process, man? Take me to the process of being, you know, selected. First round, 10th pick. Uh, well, for me, it started uh, early in the high school season. Um, I got on the radar of a lot of, you know, local scouts and, and regional guys. And, and from that point on, it, it kind of grew from there as uh, more guys started to come to games. You know, you started to hear about teams that were interested. Right. And then from there on, about halfway to the end of the high school season, um, started to get a get a good look about who was really, really all in at that right. point. And it, as the season goes, you know, it was game by game, uh, getting new information. And uh, by the time the draft hit, um, we had a pretty good idea about where I was going to go okay. and, and glad to be here. So, right. so um, we talked to your buddy, uh, Brandon Marsh. You know, you guys played a little bit in the short A, but, you know, he gets promoted and then you get promoted right after. When you got the call to come back up, what were you, uh, what were you thinking? What were you, what were you feeling? I was really excited, you know. I was kind of surprised, you know, being, you know, how old I am. Uh, you kind of normally don't see that. But, uh, you know, our organization, and like I've told a lot of people, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you, you show you deserve to move. Uh, they, they move you. And, right. um, you know, it's one of the situations where I played well, uh, shown the maturity, and was able to come out here uh, earlier than I thought. And so all the guys are really glad to have me, and I'm glad to be here. Right on. So how was the spring training experience, your first spring training it was awesome. Yeah. You know, you got to see a lot of the big league guys and, and hang with those guys, work out with them, and right. and really uh, just getting tuned up for the season. I mean, uh, it's a long one, as, as I already know. I'm already yeah. here yeah. 40-plus games in. But, um, no, it's pretty awesome to be able to be around a lot of the big league guys, be able to go up and play in a game, and uh, just be a part of it. Cool. Now, what do you work on daily? What's the one thing you do daily to continue to grow and mature in the game? Uh, for me, one thing has really been stretching, trying to stay limber, and, and uh, you know, it's a long season. It's really easy on those bus rides to get tight right, and, yeah. right. and uh, lock up. And, and part of my game is just being able to float around the outfield and make plays and, uh, you know, as, as loose as I can stay and stretched out as I can stay, the better for me. Yeah, Yeah. so growing up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, no pro teams out there. So what were your teams growing up, you know, baseball, NBA, uh, football? What were your teams growing up? Uh, well, you know, being so close, uh, Cincinnati was always the team uh, to go to go check out for sure. Uh, go see so go see Votto and those guys, and, and uh, I guess that's only thirty minutes away from my house. So, oh, okay, so right on. Um, yeah, so it's not too bad. So on the show, we want to, our listeners to get to know the players a little bit better. So we got a couple personal questions, nothing too personal, but quickly, quick answers: uh, tacos or pizza? I'd have to say pizza on okay, that one, okay. for sure. Is there a certain pizza that you like? Like Domino's, Pizza Hut, or is there like something back home that you like? Uh, nothing in particular. I, I'd definitely choose pizza though over tacos, for okay. sure. Okay. Rap, rock, or country? Uh, I'd have to do rap, for what, sure. What are you into? What kind of rap? Well, you know, what, who's your favorite artist? What are you listening to right now? Um, I like Lil Uzi. I listen to 21 Savage. Okay. Um, you know, just kind of a mix. I'm not really too particular. Okay. You know, whatever's, whatever's in the mood that day. Cool. Steph or LeBron? Uh, I'd have to say Steph. Oh, yeah, okay. Talk to Brandon about that. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> Octagon client for uh, Octagon reasons. Oh, okay. okay. We're in the same agency, right? I can't <laughs> oh, say LeBron. Okay. okay. I can't say LeBron. That makes and, uh, sense. Okay. Right? Deeper beating. Okay. I got Good you now. Now, if they both, if they both were uh, in the agency, then I have to go LeBron. Okay. All right. That changes the answer. Okay. Okay. California out here, in and out. In-N-Out or Whataburger? Or have you had any of the two? I've had both, and I definitely would go Whataburger for burgers okay. and then In-N-Out for shakes. Okay. For sure. Animal, Animal-style fries at all with In-N-Out or haven't gone there yet? No fries. Not a huge fan of the fries. Oh, okay. 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 Not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. All right, quick 
real answer. You're an athletic guy. We see it on your Twitter. Your dad was a football player, so you played football growing up, right? No, I didn't. No. That's the crazy thing. What? So uh, okay. growing up, my dad, uh, you know, was drafted by the Saints, played yeah. at NC State, ended up getting hurt earlier than he expected. And, and his whole thing was, you know, I don't want to beat your body up. You know, you don't want to beat yourself up. And, and so that's when I, it was baseball at that point forward, moving okay. forward. Right that surprises on. everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was like, I was like, oh, I'm sure he played football. When did he choose baseball? But there's the answer. So when you're trying to pass the time, either before a game, after a game, or like a day off, what do you do? Are you a gamer? Are you you binge watch? You know, movies or TV shows? Uh, I'm going Netflix and find a series. Find a series. Okay. okay. What's For the sure. most recent series you probably sat down and watched like three or four episodes of? Um, it was Criminal Minds, and I watched uh, Prison Break. Was my favorite. Oh, okay, so yeah, I got, we, yeah, I got into that. Later Prison too. Break was my favorite in Criminal Minds right now, just to fly through them and watch them all. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Cool. Well, that's gonna wrap it up. Thank you, Joe, for taking the time with us on the All Angels Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hey, what's up? Johnny Catfish here, ambassador for Groom Goon Beard and Body Care. Are you tired of your beard feeling rough and not so fresh? Do yourself a favor and do what I did and check out www.groomgoon.com. Groom Goon carries a variety of beard oils and beard and body soaps that will leave your beard feeling soft and smelling great all day long. Don't just take my word for it. Go check it out for yourself. Again, that's www.groomgoon.com. And at checkout, use discount code CATFISHTHEGOON, all one word, CATFISHTHEGOON, and receive 15% off your purchase. Why choose Groom Goon? Well, because your beard deserves it. This is Hook Vicious. Listen to my show, The Punk Corner, on KJ Epic Radio, every Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. All right, so this is Johnny Mags, and we are joined today. Thanks uh, very much to Trent Rush. Uh, Trent, thanks for joining us on the All Angels Podcast. Johnny, thanks for having me, man. Thank you. So let's get into it. I mean, first half of the season is officially over now with the All-Star break, uh, just or the All-Star game just finishing up yesterday, off day to day. The Angels, you know, hovering around that 500 mark, are they that team? Have they always been that team, or can they? Is there something they need to do to get them over the hump? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I feel like we're still waiting for this offense to click. I, I mean, the pitching has done an admirable job, especially considering all the injuries at this point. But, you know, you're still just kind of waiting for this offense to find their stride. Like, I saw a stat that Mike Trout, and I think this was on uh, the. the Saturday broadcast when the Angels were at Dodger Stadium, that Mike Trout has the eighth fewest plate appearances with men on base, mm-hmm. and the first seven are leadoff hitters. So there, there's got to be different ways to, to find opportunities for Trout to be at the plate with guys on. The other thing, too, is Trout has been scuffling a little bit, and I think that the All-Star break probably comes at a pretty good time for him. The fact that since he'd been moved to three spot, he only had two RBI, and those were both on solo home runs. So I think that once he starts clicking and we're starting to see Cole Calhoun hit the high level. When you can have Cole in front of him, David Fletcher's a guy that can get on base pretty regularly. Anderson Simmons, of course, hitting right in front of Trout. I, I think that there is a way for the top of the lineup to be productive. And, you know, still waiting on guys like Justin Upton to, to come around because 
he's a really important bat for this team. In many ways, I see him as, as the most important player in this lineup. You know what Simba and Trout are going to do, but Justin Upton needs to be a run producer and come through with guys in scoring position, and he really didn't do that in the first half. Right, right. Well, you kind of answered the question, but I'll ask it kind of anyway. Um, Cole Calhoun at the top of the order. Do you see him being that leadoff guy, or do the Angels stick with maybe like a David Fletcher, or are they waiting still on Kinsler to kind of be that guy? I, I don't know that. I don't know how much longer you can wait on Kinsler. Where he's sitting under two twenty right now, like that's not good enough. And for Cole Calhoun, I think we're going to see we're going to see him continue to hit leadoff against righties. I don't think Mike Sosha is comfortable with uh, Calhoun against lefties, but that's okay because David Fletcher can hit leadoff against lefties. And what you can do, and Mike Sosha really did this the last I don't know ten days or so going into the All Star break, where you have Cole hit nine against lefties and Fletcher would hit one, and, and against righties. It'd be Fletcher in the ninth spot and Calhoun uh, as the leadoff guy. So essentially, it's like having two leadoff hitters except for the first time through. So uh, I, I think we're going to continue to see more of that. Look, Cole Calhoun's production has been fantastic. Right. And for me, yeah, there have been some mechanical changes to Calhoun's swing. Uh, this is not a guy that, that's trying to crush home runs every time now. And you know, amazingly enough, right, he's trying to be a line drive hitter. Now we're starting to see the ball leave the yard quite a bit more. I think for Cole Calhoun, it's mostly an approach thing and the idea of just get base hits, hit full field, spray the ball around. And we're seeing not just a Cole Calhoun that we're used to seeing. We're seeing a guy that's better than Cole that we've ever seen before. So that's been really great. I mean, it's last one. So we'll see if he can keep that up. Yeah, we've always been saying, we've been saying on the show how a Calhoun that we're used to will dramatically change this lineup. And then the guy, the Calhoun we're getting now, Obviously, is a guy that you know we we've we've expected and then some. Um, coming from off the All Star break, you know the Angels they're getting some pitching coming back, right? You know we we were at Inland Empire uh, kind of charting uh, Nick Tropiano's starts uh, the last two times he went out. We were in the dugout in there, you know, charting his pitch count and all that stuff. Um, he looks like he's ready to come back. How much of an improvement having Tropiano and maybe possibly even a Matt Shoemaker kind of making his way back? How, how big is that for the Angels? Yeah, I mean. I- Honestly, with Shu, I, I don't want to, you know, you shouldn't hold your breath because it's still going to be a little bit before Shoemaker comes back, I think. Uh, and even with Nick Tropiano, it's an important piece because really only have four starters that they're confident in. And if you can get a guy, I mean, gosh, if you can move Felix Pena back to the bullpen, all of a sudden, like your bullpen, you can you can feel good about some pieces there. They still don't have the back end of the bullpen that you want, but at least, you know, you know, mid-relievers, the, the Angels can be set in that regard. But, you know, when you have Deck McGuire starting games for you, that's not ideal. Like, look, Deck, Deck's a good guy. Deck is a guy that, you know, can, can be serviceable out of the bullpen. You don't want Deck McGuire to have to start games and he's actually done an all right job when he's had to start considering the position he's been put into but it's more you know kind of addition by subtraction by having a a you know a starting pitcher that's supposed to be a starting pitcher that can get the job done the other thing with tropiano and and i think he's a really good pitcher and he's he's come a long way but he doesn't have all that much big league experience right. so he needs these innings that he continues to develop he's still a young guy that uh, has not been in the big leagues like weeks and months he's been in the big leagues for a long time but in terms of innings really not that much at all right right yeah he's a guy that, that's kind of green around the edges still um, 
Speaking about pitching, I know they're just rumors, and you know I think we've I've seen posts or you know on Twitter about how the Angels are probably reluctant, but Skaggs and Heaney, obviously Skaggs has kind of turned into that ace of the staff uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, is there any truth to any of these rumors, or, or is they just speculation at this point that the Angels could trade a, a, a Skaggs and Heaney? Well, I think this time of year, people are going to speculate a lot of things. And you're going to see in every game, you're going to see scouts from a lot of different clubs because teams are going to do their due diligence. And when people mention the Yankees, it's only natural because of Epler's background with the Yankees and as well as he knows Cashman. Now, the Angels, or there are reports anyway that have made it pretty clear that the Angels aren't going to move either one of those guys. I think the important thing for the Angels is, is A, figuring out if you're going to be a buyer or a seller. And they really have until the deadline to do that. Um, you know, gosh, and remember last year, it was the it was the August 31st deadline that right. most of the major moves happened. That's when the Upton move happened. That's when the Verlander move happened in Houston. So, I mean, the Angels are going to try to drag this out as long as possible to continue to evaluate their place in this wild card chase. I mean, if there are 11, 12 games out of the wild card, then maybe it does make more sense to be a seller. But if they can, you know, swing together some wins, they're playing, you know, the last year before the trade deadline to get Seattle, if they can pick up some momentum in that series and, and maybe be, you know, six, seven, eight games out at that point, then you feel like you still have a chance. You continue to, to try to get into the playoffs in 2018. The only the other thing too about Heaney and Skaggs is if the Angels are going to be a team that's going to contend for a postseason spot in 2019, which they should be, especially since Mike Trout's contract expires after the 2020 season. Yeah. That's a window that you got to take advantage of. So I really don't – if this team even does become sellers, I see them selling short-term options, not selling long-term options, and Heaney and Skaggs are long-term guys. Yeah, so, you know, segueing into this next question, uh, with the whole Skaggs and Heaney thing in 2019, you know, I know we're looking ahead. 2018 is not over yet, but, I mean, if the Angels seriously consider themselves contenders in 2019, they, they – probably have to go out and get another starter, right? For sure. I, I think that's definitely what they're going to have to do, especially now that Garrett Richards isn't going to be part of the picture, and you just don't know what to expect with Shohei Otani. So, right. no doubt, the Angels need starting pitching. That's, In my opinion, uh, this offseason, actually starting right now, that's got to be uh, first and foremost on the agenda. Now, as far as trades are concerned, you know, to improve the team moving forward, do the Angels trade away a Joe Adele or Jemai Jones? Is that even maybe in the picture? Uh, you uh, you prospects to be chips. But another thing, too, I think Billy Epler, Billy has always been a guy that values the homegrown talent. I mean, his background is in everything he learned and seeing the core that came up, the guys like, you know, Jeter and Posada and, and all those guys that came through with the Yankees. That that's kind of what his background is, and he understands the value of having that. And I think that's the same thing that he'd like to create uh, with the Angels. I remember one of the first times I ever talked to Billy. He says, "Hey, he goes, think about a tomato. You go to the grocery store, pick up a tomato. It's all right, but when you're picking tomatoes in your garden and that's what you're serving for dinner, that tomato tastes so much better." And I, I really think that Billy Epler sees prospects that way. If he has to trade guys, I think he will. He's not afraid to. I mean, when he traded uh, 
when he, when he made the big move, uh, what was his, his first uh, his first move that he made here? Uh, the, the deal with Atlanta to get Anderson Simmons. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, he was, he was not afraid to trade. Who was the number one prospect at the time for the Angels? So uh, I think that uh, he's going to continue to um, you know evaluate what he's got, and he's not afraid to make the big trade. But it would have to be a massive one to get a guy like an Anderson Simmons uh, if you're going to make that move. Yeah, it'd have to be a guy that they that can control for a few years. Um, all right, so playoff push here. Do the Angels have the team to make a push? I mean, are, or are they that 500 team that we've been seeing? I, I really think, Johnny, that if this is a team that can hit to the level that we expect, that they no doubt can be a playoff team. This team is 38-10 and 10 when they score four runs or more. Like, the pitching's been fine. When you have numbers like that, you just need your offense to click. And there's no reason why this offense can't average four runs a game. There are so many great weapons in this lineup. Just you haven't seen everybody produce to the level that, that you expect. So that's been the biggest issue, has been the offense. And I think that these guys can hit. It's a big hold they got to make up now. I think Seattle's going to come back a little bit. I don't see Tampa staying in the mix. Yeah. And I think, oh, Oakland's going to come back a little bit. So we'll see how it shakes out. But a season far from over for the Halos. Perfect. So here's a question that my partner, my co-host, Daniel, wanted me to ask you. He said, if the Angels continue to struggle this year, what do you think happens with Sosha? Well, I mean, considering this is the final year in his contract, I'd be, I would be surprised, uh, you know, I, I would be, I would be surprised if the Angels miss the postseason or they're not in the mix. That you know, I, I don't know what Billy's going to do, but you would have to think that with him having an expiring contract, it would have to be uh, something pretty significant. Uh, of the postseason. Again, that's not saying that any of this is Mike Sosha's fault. I still think Sosha is the best manager you can find anywhere. Um, but 19 years in the track record of no playoff wins since 2009, I do think that, that could hurt. I, 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 I would say to the Angels, good luck trying to find a manager that's going to be, you know, that, that, that knows baseball better than Mike Sosha. That's a really hard thing. Uh, you're, you're really not going to find that guy. Uh, but again, with this being the final year of his contract, you know, not having an extension coming into the season. Generally speaking, uh, that's one of the signs that, you know, things kind of got to go right for him to be able to stay, and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, that's the one thing I've always said on the show. We've had listener emails tell us about how social this, social that, and my response is always, who are we going to get that's going to be better? And, yeah. I mean, there's no, I mean, Francona's not going anywhere. Madden's not going anywhere. It's not going to happen, so... Yeah, like you said, I agree with 100% with what you said there. So with everything we just talked about, Angels obviously underachieving this year, uh, you know, so far. Uh, what's your on a scale of one to ten? What do you what what where do you first half? Scale of one to ten at the Angels. I mean, they're basically a five hundred team. I give them a five. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's where I'm at. Just because I think I think again, not necessarily everyone's fault because you've had so many injuries to the pitching, but the replacement starting pitchers and even relief pitchers, I think, have overachieved in a lot of ways. I'd actually mm-hmm. give this group of pitchers like an eight. I, I think they're they're way overachieving versus mm-hmm. what I expected. But the lineup ha- has not done their job, and that's been really surprising. So yeah, I. I think a, a 500 team right now. I, I give them a five so far halfway through. What do you? What one quick question before I let you go here? What do you? Why do you think they're struggling so bad at the plate? Because you know, one day and we've talked about it on the show. 
one day they're scoring nine runs, and then the next game they get shut out and on two hits or whatever. What do you think it is? Is it just? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that there is something to when the team seems to be in situational excuse me, in situational hitting scenarios, they've had more success when they're trying to execute hit and runs and plays like that, and, and they're being aggressive on the bases. That's usually uh, when you see you know, this this team have more success. I, I don't know why the lack of consistency. Uh, again, I don't, I don't have the numbers to back that up. Um, it, it, it's been frustrating, no yes. doubt. Part of it's just that's how baseball goes. But, um, you know, I, I think that you're just waiting for a lot of guys to really click, to get in rhythm. We're seeing it with Cole Calhoun. It looks like up in the last, you know, the week going into the All-Star break, things were better for him. He's kind of a streaky guy anyway. Um, but, like, Kinsler's got to, you know, he can't hit where he's hitting right now. He's yeah. got to be better than that. And uh, you need production all the way around. And, you know, when, when you have Trout and Simmons, it, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be uh, scoring a lot more runs. And even Albert. Albert has been pretty productive for this team. The fact yeah. that he's second in RBI on this team, like, I, I get it. it. Albert was frustrating as a cleanup hitter, but now he moves down a spot into the five hole. I, I think Albert's still a productive bat for you. So, um, you know, I, I, that, that's not really where the issue is. But it's got to be it's got to be team hitting and situational hitting. And when the Angels have done that, that's when they've been most successful. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Well, I won't take any more of your time. I appreciate it, Trent, for jumping on the show with us here today. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to uh, see where the Angels head from here. But, again, thank you very much for joining us, and I appreciate you. Hey, thanks so much. You guys do a great job. Appreciate you. So we are here with Taylor Ward from Who's On First. Taylor, thanks for joining us on the All Angels Podcast. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. You know, we see what you do. And the first question I wanted to ask you, and it's kind of obvious, Taylor Ward, you even put your Twitter as Taylor Blake Ward. When the Angels drafted Taylor Ward, the catcher, now third baseman, how did your uh, mentions blow up? Uh, <laughs> I got about uh, 200 texts that night telling me congratulations. It was uh, – yeah. um, I, I mean, I knew who Taylor Ward was um, – well before uh, he was drafted, um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a a very different scenario. Usually, um, it's something you're definitely not going to see very often, and uh, it, it was exciting. It was really exciting. <laughs> so now we got that. So it is Taylor Ward, the rider, not Taylor Ward, the Salt Lake B's third baseman. But um, coming into this season with a lot of the expectation with the Angels, you know, getting Otani, re-signing Upton. Um, Kinsler, what was your expectations coming into the year? Um, I, I was pretty vocal about it. Uh, I thought that they were a team that, uh, pending if they won a couple games that they should have or lost a couple games that they shouldn't have, uh, they would be right around 500 and be a team that could sneak their way past that 500 mark, maybe an 85 to 90 win team. Um, and I think that a lot of us expected that to be in the wild card range. Now, the season's obviously not over, but 500 isn't really cutting it uh, with what Oakland and Seattle are doing, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, why did you think going in? I mean, we, we had our reasons. We were kind of with you uh, when we did our, re, our preview show for the, the season. Daniel and I were almost on the same page, kind of saying the same thing you were, where this team might just be a 500 team. 
Why, in your mind, were they just a 500 team? Was it the fact that they didn't go out and pick up, you know, a quality veteran starter, or, or was it because they didn't go out and get a bullpen guy, or was it something different? I wasn't. I was a little uncertain of the depth in the lineup. Um, obviously. When you're looking to add defensive uh, attributes like Ian Kinsler and Martin Maldonado, who are no longer with the team, uh, I thought Kinsler would definitely be better than he was. Um, not to say he was awful, but definitely better than he was. Uh, Martin Maldonado is a fantastic baseball player, one of my personal favorites to watch. Uh, but we all knew the bat wasn't there. Albert Pujols, uh, despite being a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen, still on the decline. I didn't think they'd get on base enough. And as for the pitching, I thought their bullpen was a little iffy going in. Uh, obviously, we're seeing how that's equated uh, without Keenan Middleton. Uh, obviously, Justin Anderson has stepped up. The rotation still had some questions. Um, I think, like I said, it was a team that all it would take is a hot streak at the right time, and they could have been a playoff team. Uh, and I thought that that was what this team was capable of. Maybe obviously not competing with the Astros, but... Uh, but that hasn't happened, and injuries have been a huge part of that. Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, I guess your regular um, fan would had really high expectations as far as going after Houston for uh, the division and all stuff. But realistically, we like Johnny said, we were very kind of maybe sneak into that second wild card spot. Uh, now, kind of moving forward to now where they are now after the deadline, when you saw the moves, the Kinsler trade and Maldonado trade, um, seeing the prospects they got back, and you saw one last night, uh, Tuesday night um, in Anaheim. Do you feel they won that? Did you feel they lost the trade? Or, or was there anything different you might have hoped to see at the trade deadline? Oh, I, I never pick winners and losers. Every team has the right uh, mindset when they go for a trade. I mean, if uh, if Houston wins a World Series because of Martin Maldonado and he's on the roster, then obviously Houston won this uh, years before Ty Buttry or Williams Jerez has had any chance to even make an impact with the Angels. Um, as for the product that came back, uh, yeah, for two rentals, um, Brand, or, uh, Patrick Sandoval, obviously really exciting um, to have a back-end arm that you can project. The Angels are still lacking a little bit in the system when it comes to pitching outside of the top of the system with Canning, Suarez, Rodriguez, Soriano. Uh, so it's great to have a guy like Sandoval in the organization. And as for Buttry and Jerez, uh, two quality arms that can help within the next year or two. And if you get a... You know, if you get a full year or two years of quality from those two guys, uh, then, yeah, you obviously made the right decision trading Ian Kinsler. Um, and you have control of those guys for five years, I believe, uh, for both of them. Uh, so, you know, you can see your excitement there and having two young relievers who are just about to jump into their prime. Uh, so if you're looking at it from that standpoint, the angel standpoint, then yes, you've got two arms, two major league arms and one potential third major league arm in the future. And you can never have enough arms. Absolutely. Like we had mentioned on our show earlier, we said, you know, you, you, you pretty much got two guys under control for a guy who's going to walk away in about two months, you know, uh, in, in Kinzer and Maldonado. I don't think the angels really had expectations of really resigning either of those guys, but moving on to other news uh, around angel land is, the whole Mike Sosha news, the whole stepping down at the end of the season, um, I don't look at it as much of a surprise. I mean, you know, the end of his contract is at the end of this year. I don't – personally, I didn't see the Angels really going out and, and, and signing him to an extension of any sort. Um, 
What are your feelings about the whole Mike Social situation? Um, I think that it got exposed at the wrong time. I, I don't think Mike is ready to, to quit baseball. I don't think he's ready to be done. Uh, obviously, this has been asked since the start of the season and even last year. Uh, when this contract was coming to the end of it, is is Mike Sosha going to come back? Things like that. Uh, when it comes to Mike, I think he's going to be the one that has the ultimate decision on when he is done managing in baseball because even if it's not with the Angels, he's still going to be one of the hottest commodities on the market as a manager with that experience and that resume. Uh, so if it's not with the Angels, I think he's going to get a job elsewhere. Um, if it is with the Angels, I don't think it's going to be a long-term deal. Uh, maybe a three, four-year deal for the manager, maybe five years. But that's a big if, especially when you guys have or when you have guys that are kind of ready to take that spot. You know, Josh Paul, Brad Osmus, Keith Hernandez, or uh, Keith Johnson, um, Eric Chavez. So you know, the opportunity is there for social to leave and have someone that you're prepped and ready uh, that understands the organization philosophy and can use that. Um, but I also wouldn't be stunned if Mike Sosha came back next year with the Angels. I, I still, uh, from what I know, Mike Sosha is a manager until the end of this year and until there is a new manager, um, we just don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't heard anyone say about Sosha coming back. But if they do move on from from Sosha, what kind of uh, manager do you think the Angels need moving forward? Do you think they need a you know, rookie kind of in that um, Aaron Boone uh, mold, maybe a young uh, type of manager, or should, like you said, go after a, a vet like an Osmus or even a Matheny that's out there? Um, I think that you're going to have a guy that understands the analytics really well. Uh, not to discredit Mike Matheny, but I do not think he is that kind of guy. Brad Osmus obviously would be. Joe Girardi would be if you're going for veteran guys. Um, but there's a few guys that are within the organization already that have a very strong understanding of what the philosophy is. Uh, whether that's a young guy like Keith Johnson or Eric Chavez, or if it's a, a little bit older of a guy, a guy that's had managerial experience with the Angels, and that's Dino Ebel, uh, the bench coach. But I think it's going to be a bit of a surprise. I think, um, you know, Billy's connection to the New York. Uh, front office and New York organization may bring a, a guy from that uh, organization over to be a manager. Um, I don't think it's going to be a guy that's coming off the free agent market, a guy that was a manager for quite a while. I think it's going to be a new face, um, someone that's a little more adaptive to this new game. And, and that's not taken away from Mike Sosha, who, you know, in 2002, he uses best reliever uh, in the sixth, seventh inning, the high leverage deal. He's he's been ahead of the game. It's just he's not as vocal about the analytics of the game. Um, but I think that it's going to be a guy that has a full understanding, is a little bit of a more of a baseball guy than an analytics guy, but has a strong concept of what's going on and how to structure a lineup and revolve around that. Awesome. Uh, that's that's good insight there we we you know we kind of just go off what we hear and 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 that's all we we kind of go off of so um moving ahead to you know towards the end of this season you know the september call-ups coming around the corner uh who do you see in the angels organization as far as being like locks to be called up in september or maybe a guy like taylor ward or, or matt dice uh i wouldn't say dice not yet um He's. It's not necessary to put him on the 40-man uh, this winter. He still has a year before he has to be protected. I think he will come into spring fighting for a spot on the roster. 
But I also don't think he's ready. You look at his splits between lefties and righties, and there's a lot of work to be done. Um, he cooled off a little bit. Still a great hitter, but he's young. There's another year before it's mandatory to put him on the 40-man. I think you continue to let him develop. Uh, Taylor Ward obviously is hit enough to show that he probably belongs up. He has to be added to the 40-man this winter, so why not just get him up in September? Don't worry about um service time because he's not a prospect like Joe Adele. He's not a prospect like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, he's a good prospect, but service time really isn't going to matter with a guy like him. Um, I think one guy that hasn't been brought up as regularly with the crowd uh, is Jeremy Rhodes. He was a former top pitching prospect, probably top 15 in the organization at a time. Um, had a little bit of a downfall in his career. He's lost some velocity. They moved him to the bullpen. He's back into the mid-90s. Uh, Wipeout slider hasn't allowed a run in Salt Lake in a month and a half, two months. Um, I think he's a guy that might be up even before September. And, you know, we'll see how the roster expands. Maybe a guy like Luis Pena. Um, but I don't think there's going to be any real surprises that come up. Yeah, kind of going, everyone knows the names, like you said, uh, Ward, Thice, uh, Joe, Jemai. Like, people know those names. Brandon Marsh. Um, do you, is there a prospect that maybe not, you know, obviously not this year, but going into spring training, maybe getting some time that will surprise Angel fans and, and kind of make a name for himself, whether he gets brought up with the team or not, but just kind of performs well and everyone kind of starts paying attention to him? Um, so you're saying a major league ready or a guy that's close to the major yeah, leagues? Kind of close to the major league ready that no one's really talking about that can either – perform well in spring training and just catch someone's eye not necessarily break camp with them but just be like oh i want to see when this guy gets brought up kind of almost like a fletcher was at the beginning of this year um maybe a guy like jose rojas uh someone you guys are pretty familiar with um was a cal league all-star this year last year southern league all-star this year has been hitting everywhere he's gone um, he was just a late-round pick, so a lot of people don't pay attention to the late-round picks. But a uh, local guy from Anaheim area, I would say maybe him. He's in double-A. Um, there's not a lot invested in him money-wise, so he may be a surprise. Maybe a guy like Jared Walsh, another late guy, but he's a first-base-only kind of guy. Um, if we're really digging deep into guys that might uh, might be surprising, I'm trying to think here. Most of the Angels' talent, like under-the-radar talent, is obviously from the low minors because yeah, right. they've passed through San Bernardino. They've yeah. passed through Mo – or they're in Mobile. I think once you pass through San Bernardino, your name is on the map just because you're a local talent. People are going to hear about you. Um, but, yeah, maybe Jose Rojas um, or one of the relievers, uh, Tyler Stevens, um, Daniel Procopio, guys like that possibly. Awesome. So, uh, you know, just to backtrack just a little bit on the minor leagues, uh, you, we briefly just kind of talked about Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. <clears throat> Excuse me. How I mean, not surprised, but I mean, how how awesome has Joe Adele been on the in the minor league system? And when can we what's what's when can we possibly start hearing the rumors of maybe a Joe Adele coming up to the big league roster? Oh, I think summer next year you're going to hear people talking about it um <laughs> he, he is a special talent um i mean to be one of the top uh, 15 prospects in baseball uh you obviously have to be a very special talent we all knew when he was drafted that he was going to be a, a very athletic player guy that profiles in a 
center field, the outfield, uh, has elite speed. When the power is there, it's elite power. Um, it was all about if he's going to hit, and he's definitely answered those questions this year. Um, yeah, I think midsummer next year we're going to start hearing people talk about it. That's not to say that um, he's going to come up. It's a pretty crowded outfield. There's not a lot of space for him. Um, so I think that 2020, when a few contracts are up, when Cole Calhoun is done, unless you want to move him to first, but you have another log jam there, um, I think those are your situations um, where Joe Adele just doesn't have space, so you, but you have time to develop him. He's only 19 years old. He's going to be 20 going into next year. So you have a guy that's 21 years old going into the majors in two years. Uh, he, he's still the same age as guys that are in low A. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Marsh, another guy, very same factor. Um, I think he's actually a better hitter than Joe Adele, overall hitter. Um, doesn't have the upside, obviously. Um, but another guy, you, you have to find room for him. And with what's going on with Justin Upton, who is a fantastic baseball player, having a down year, I think. Uh, and you have to wait out until and see what you're going to do with Cole Calhoun because. Uh, well, yeah, there's a one more year with the contract with Cole, I believe, yeah. uh, following this one. Um, so you're going to have to find space or move these guys around. And it would make a lot of sense to move Brandon Marsh or Joe Adele around the out or anywhere other than the outfield because that's where their talent is. Um, maybe you use one of those guys as a trade chip. I doubt they part with Adele, a talent that special. And not to say that Brandon Marsh isn't a special talent. He's obviously a top 100 prospect in baseball. But maybe you use him as a trade chip, um, possibly. So just kind of going like what you're saying with Joe Adele, but I wanted to give you some other other names. And you just give me, you know, an ETA, you know, early 2020 or early 2019 or late 2019 or anything like that. Um, first one is uh, Jemai Jones. Uh, mid-2019, possibly fighting for a spot next year. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, I am also looking at Griffin Canning. Uh, fighting for a spot in spring training uh, very well could be one of those service time guys where they wait oh, two weeks and then call him up for a start, similar to what they did with Jaime Berea. Okay, uh, who is it, Jose Suarez? Suarez, same thing, uh, same thing. Actually, Jose Suarez has to be added to the 40-man this year, so uh, don't be stunned if he's up in September. Uh, well, the other guy that, that kind of, I don't want to say surprised people, surprised me a little bit, I guess, uh, was a guy that we traded for CJ Crone was uh, Luis Renfigo. Uh, how, what what do you know about this kid and, and uh, uh, his progression through the system so quickly? Uh, high energy infielder, Luis Rengifo is, is one of my favorite guys in the system. Um, he's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to put it. Uh, it's like his hair is on fire when he's playing baseball. Uh, really exciting, high energy, um, high level competition of at bats is not going to throw away any at bats. High contact, a little bit of sneaky power, and then when he gets on the base pass, he is not afraid to go, and he has the speed to use it. Um, there's some question about if he has the long term stuff to stay as a shortstop, but there's not a lot of concern there because of Andrelton Simmons. Um, Luis Rangifo has an opportunity to fight for a spot in spring training next year at second base. Uh, that's not to say that he will get it. That's not to say that uh, um, he's a lock to be 
a, few, a future starter. He still has a little bit of a utility role to him, but the performance has shown that he can hit the ball regularly, he can play defense regularly, and that speed is going to carry him. Would that be another possible, like you kind of said with Brandon Marshall, the trade chip maybe that the Angels use in the offseason to maybe find a, another arm or, or some, some, some depth somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, uh, you that's what prospects are, are used for often. And now the Angels have a bit of a surplus. Um, Which is weird considering the last you know handful of years. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, it, he could be used as a trade chip. Um, it really depends on how you view David Fletcher. Uh, is he going to be a starter long term? It's based on where is Jemai Jones and, and where is his defense at? Is he going to need another year in the minors? to uh, develop his defense. Um, so, And then you look at the free agent market, and is there a guy out there that's going to improve your team for a few years or one year? Uh, and is that going to put a blockade for Rangifo or Jones or even move Fletcher? So you have a lot of questions that won't be answered until the winter. And when that happens, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you sell high on a guy like Taylor Ward um, because he – you know, there's still question marks on if he is going to be an everyday player. Um, so maybe you sell high on him, the fact that he hit 350 this whole year. Maybe you sell high on Luis Rangifo, who might be a utility man, and try and sell him as a future starter. That's Those are the kind of questions we won't know the answers to until they play in the majors or they're, you know, we get through this winter. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So I didn't even think about it. They could sell high on a Taylor Ward type and try to get a, a bigger return than maybe they would have if they did it last year or maybe if they wait one more year. Um, we want to thank you for your time. We're not going to take any more of your time because you've been plenty generous with it. Um, again, do you want to, you know, your Twitter handle, tell people where they, uh, they can get a hold of you, and, and uh, if you have anything out there you want to promote, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my social security number. No, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Let me get a uh, paper. Hold on real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward, um, and uh, you know, just hit the uh, free agent market myself. So check it out on the uh, Who's On First dot WordPress dot com. Uh, excited to get that going. Starting a top twenty midseason prospect report, and uh, yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. And there you have it. Uh, went really long, but hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, some of the best interviews we've done this year. Definitely, definitely looking forward to um, more interviews with more players and, and more people that are inside the Angels organization next season when we kick off and hopefully get some um, during the offseason when, when moves are being made and, and, and players are moving. So, um, yep, that's going to be it. Thanks for uh, joining us and listening to the All Angels podcast. Uh, look out for our next podcast coming in the month of November. So, again, follow us on Halo Haven on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Halo underscore Haven on both Instagram and Twitter. All right, thank you. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.